1: Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know, we're giving away a bunch of brand new Blackmagic gear. Yeah,
0: cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Blackmagic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey, welcome to the 74th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Oren
1: Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we have Tony Yacenda on the show. Listeners will remember that he joined us back when he had the video saved at Money. Now he's got his very own Netflix show. It's called American Vandal. It comes out September fifteenth. We're going to talk to him about what he learned about having his very first season of a TV show. Yeah, we go through how
0: he came up with the idea, how he pitched it, and we really delve deep into the writer's room and how he managed to come up with the eight episodes that they ultimately made
1: the show with. It's a really good conversation. I learned a ton. You know, I, I cannot wait to talk to, to Tony about all of this awesome information. But first, I really have to know, Oren... What have you been working on lately?
0: You know, I've actually been really busy lately, which is good. It's so funny how like when you're not busy, you're like so stressed by not having work, and then you get work and you're so stressed out, and you just want to break. I know that you're very familiar with this, but I had the situation last week that I've told you a lot about, where I booked two jobs at the same time, and they two, were two like cherry jobs, two yeah. plum
1: awesome jobs.
0: Yeah, one is like a, a ten spot, four day shoot. With like celebrities for a fashion brand with these, these really cool stories. And the other one is just like a 15 second TV commercial for a f- fast food chain. So I was up for these two jobs and I happened to get both of them and they ended up due to the dates and the celebrity talent and all that stuff landing on the exact same days. So I had to choose one job, one I had committed to first. And so that's the job I picked. But have you ever been in that situation where You've left one job
1: for another one? You know, I'm lucky. I haven't been in that exact predicament. Uh, I've been in the situation where you say yes to uh, a couple jobs, and they're all in the same vicinity, and so you find yourself spread too thin, and you're prepping one job while you're in post on another. Or really, it's the worst when you're prepping two jobs at once. And even though the shoot days are different, you know that there's going to be a day where everyone's, like, stressed out because you're shooting... And they need answers from you on a different project. And that can be tricky. But also, like, that's how you get to be prolific. That's how you get to do so many things all at once. So, you know, it kind of comes with the territory. You know, it's funny. My wife is dealing with that a little bit right now where she's in a play but also then just booked a couple cool TV things all at once. Oh, what did she book? A popular procedural show. That she can't talk about. Wait, why can't you talk about it? Because of NDAs and stuff. Like you're like the spoilers are all important. Like they make you sign like a ton of stuff. Oh, really? So you can't say like, Oh, I'm going to be on a uh, vampire Diaries Yeah, No, you know when, when she was on Westworld, there were wanted posters everywhere that said, if you, <laughs> if we see you with a cell phone, you will be fired on the spot. Right. Because they yeah. didn't have cell phones and because all the old yeah, West. Be, yeah. It's fair. It would be confusing for the viewer, but no, like well, or when she was on mad men at the table read, it was this beautiful experience where everyone was so emotional. It's the second to last episode. People are like, like, sobbing, and, like, you know, this is the end of an era. And then she's like, um, where's the bathroom? No, and then Matt Weiner is like, thank you all so much. Welcome to family. We love you all so much. And also, if any of you say anything, we will replace you and reshoot your scene. We're not fucking around. No spoilers. And you get it, right? Like, uh, especially those Westworld Mad Men are shows where it's, like, the fans are so rabid that, like, they figure out, like, oh, this, you know, person is a day player on this show, and then, you know, they see in the background of your selfie that, like, oh, the this character is actually covered in blood, and you realize that they're dead, and, you know, before you know it, everything's spoiled. So they're really strict about that stuff. But so she—the point is, though, it was the situation where, like, normally we would be celebrating that she's got all of these awesome opportunities. They're all kind of happening all at once. But there was this stress of, like, oh, man, she's put so much time and love and devotion into this play— and um, we weren't sure if scheduling was going to work out so that like she may have to miss one thing or the other. And so it just kind of put a damper on everything where it was like.
0: Right. And those so procedural shows like they re-air them so many times. Kara was on uh, Criminal Minds and Big Bang Theory like a couple of years ago and she still gets every couple weeks she gets a check you know it, it's hard to turn that down it's good for your for career it's
1: fun you know it's the sort of stuff that you're working for all the time and it's kind of a fun cool out role you know so um yeah. i don't know actually what's going to happen with it but um i'll keep everybody posted but yeah, yeah. so i i'm uh, intimately familiar with that thing where the anxiety the anxiety of having work can kind of put a damper on um how great it is to be in that position in the first place
0: right i guess it's like the equivalent of in the non-film world if like let's say you got pregnant and you're due right around your best friend's wedding you know and you right you have to call your friend at sure. some point and tell them hey sure i can't make it to your wedding
1: and and you know <laughs> that's you, what it feels like that's you can call you can call your doctor and that you can be like hey when am i due as many times as you want but they don't really know right and like is there a chance
0: it'll be it'll be early or it'll be late
1: they can be like sure maybe i want to get to tony
0: but i want to talk real quick about kentucky you know you just went there and shot some spots for the kentucky lottery
1: yeah i had a great time um uh fans of the show what's up guys it was great it was you know kind of the first time that i had shot in kentucky and like i've shot you know in new york and atlanta and a handful of location shoots but um it was like you know just like any other shoot like you go out the crews were awesome which was really fun everybody was really welcoming and you just go out there and you do your job and it's funny no matter what territory you're in it's kind of more or less the same thing where you have the agency meeting and you have the dinner and then you go shoot and then you know you have notes and all of that stuff um do they do
0: 12 hour days over there
1: they do uh so i talked to um my producer about it Because we had a lot of spots to shoot in a day, I asked the crew shoot a 12-hour day, and but actors were 10. So um, they tend to not do that, um, but just due to scheduling, I was like, listen, we we have too many to shoot. So they didn't love it. I think that the quality of life actually um, was really, really good for everybody out in Kentucky, It it seemed like. You made a good living. You had a good time. You worked with your friends. It was this the crew. I was the new guy in the crew for sure. Everyone else had worked right. together a million times. Then they put a kick me stick around your back. <laughs> no, they were, they were real sweet. But it was um, something where like everyone knew each other really well, which is a nice thing to walk into to know that you're entering a well-oiled machine is great. Um, so there's less of a worry of like people sinking or anything like that. Um, that was really nice but yeah that was the one thing where i was like oh we we are going to need to push things push people a little bit further than they maybe would like it seemed like a good way to like have a nice life and see your kids and have dinner with them and live a normal life basically
0: right and i imagine like every anyone can work a 12-hour day but if it's standard to do 10 hour days then you get paid overtime for those last two hours right yeah so
1: there was just a little bit of negotiation on that front basically so the plan was that we would be shooting 12
0: right i wonder if there's federal or state laws i mean i know in california you have to pay people minimum wage it's a law so you can't pay a pa 100 bucks to work for 16 hours right um but i wonder if there's anything about 12 hours versus 10 hours labor and love.
1: You know, it's funny. I think we always talk about like other markets versus LA and I will say there was something interesting about um, being a crew member. I was talking to you off mic about how I loved my ACs. They were really great, like great characters, really warm, nailed it. Right. Awesome work. Um, But they told me that in the greater Louisville and Cincinnati area, they were the major like the two ACs that I had because we were rolling two cameras, that was most of the ACs in that area. I kind of was like, Oh wow, that's so incredible. You know, they all know each other, they all can refer each other. So if there's room in the economy for another crew member in your uh interest level, it was like, Oh, I see how you can make a living and have a good time and have a cool career, basically. But but it's just on a much more intimate level so
0: yeah if you're an ac and you're looking for a job move to kentucky you will be 25 of their acs yeah well that sounds cool hopefully uh now that you've gotten a job off the podcast you know i'm available <laughs> sure as well <laughs> i told them how jealous you were
1: oh really yeah yeah what did they say they were like oh we'll, we'll work it out what does that mean i don't know man i i did such a good job that'll once you go in low it's hard to go
0: back man i talked to a few other people and they thought that you should probably give me a percentage of your salary. <laughs> and I said, what, like 10%? Most people said, no, like 50. Mm. I was like, okay, well, maybe we'll land somewhere in the middle. I'll talk
1: to Matt about it. I do wonder, I feel like the podcast has had a positive uh, influx on our careers. I feel like it's got to be a little helpful, right? Just to keep people, keep us at top of mind or something, right?
0: At the very least, I told you this earlier, but I rarely go to an interview with someone new where I don't end up mentioning the podcast because I always say like, oh, yeah, we had this director from Chef's Table on the podcast and she said this, you know. Um, So it's to me, it's just this awesome additional thing to talk about at all times. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Yeah. So thanks for listening. guys. Thanks, guys. And gals. So before we... Talk to Tony. Let's uh, check if we have any new iTunes reviews. Ooh. Ooh, We have one. August 17th from T.A. Smith. Mm. Uh, T.A. says, great for post-production. Five stars. I've been listening to this podcast for about a year, and I really enjoy it. Although I work in post-production as a colorist, I really enjoy hearing about production from a director's point of view. Knowing how a director thinks helps me serve their needs when they're in my color bay. I recommend this podcast to my clients, producers, DPs, and directors. Keep up the good work, guys. I hope to see you in my color bay someday. Uh, TA, can you tell us where your color bay
1: is? Yeah, be it there. up, man. Yeah, I love color. It's my favorite part. So, um, yeah, let us know, man. Yeah. Or woman. Yeah, TA. I mean, I'm pretty sure you work for one of my
0: teachers. <laughs> um. Anyway, so cool. Well, thanks. Uh, if you guys can leave us a review, that would be awesome. Feel free to plug a project and we will talk about it you know what i thought would be cool is Mm. everyone that sent an email to jacob my manager uh we should just like plug their names and their like websites oh that's fun so even if nothing happens with jacob at least uh they'll know it wasn't for not sending that email
1: yeah um so we'll hit you guys back if you want to be included in that call uh shout out so far we've got how many did you say we got nine so far nine but i think
0: nine is good because you listen to the first of all by the time you get around to listening to the podcast it's one thing. And then
1: you're like, Hmm, what should I send Jacob? But nothing mm-hmm. long. Right. So sure. Nothing long. You have to have the the thing ready. You know, there are plenty of people who are just still, like developing things or not quite, quite ready to like send something out to a manager. Yeah. I was pretty impressed by the
0: emails. Cause you know, they're they're We're forwarding them to Jacob. So sure. we're getting them and they're pretty much like, Hey, I'm so, and so this is like a tiny bit about my point of view. And it, here's where I am in my career and here's like a two minute thing that I made and here's my website.
1: Yeah. I thought, uh, they were all impressive. They were all really awesome. I think, um, I was like, Oh man, like our listeners are dope. My favorite start to an email was
0: from Alex Gryboskis, where he said, fuck it. I'll take the bait.
1: If you'd be so kind as to forward to Jacob. Hey man. Well, we were happy to Alex. Yeah. Um, thanks for taking the bait. Um, and, uh, we'll keep everybody posted. We'll, uh, follow up with everyone who, um, uh, submitted to Jacob and we'll see if you guys want anything plugged. Um, but it's not too late. We're still sending stuff over to Jacob. If you do want to reach out to him, whether it's for management or, you know, just to be best pals, you know, I think he's probably open to everything. We
0: only got one person telling him he has a great client. Oh, um, dude,
1: I, I haven't been reading these emails too closely with someone like, oh man, Orin's the best. One person. Oh, friend. really? Yeah. Oh, man. I was hoping for a kissing. few <laughs> more. Nice. Good work, guys.
0: Uh, anyway. Okay, cool. Well, let's get on with the show.
1: Thanks, guys. Tony, welcome back to the show. Hey, guys. Tony Ascenda in the house. So for uh, listeners who need a little refresher, Tony was on for uh, the Save That Money little Dicky video. That went mega viral. Um, but since then, you've had some uh, uh, greater successes.
2: Uh, Want to tell us about American Vandal? Yeah, it's a new show that is going to be on Netflix on September 15th. Uh, the trailer's out. You guys, have you guys seen the trailer? Yes, we've seen yeah. the trailer. A lot of dicks. We might even
1: play <laughs> a little bit of it right now. I know I didn't do it.
0: It is a shocking scene for Hanover High teachers today.
2: The vandal spray-painted obscene images on 27 cars. Oh my God!
0: I'll never understand what's so amusing about penises. Ball hairs, the ball hairs. They're different. It's just one piece to the puzzle. This is going to take way uh, more
1: than the dick Harris hairs joke. Is so good. It's like it's like the perfect distillation of what you want the show to be about. It's like the weird forensic details of like making of a
2: murderer or something like that. Um, but so fucking stupid. That's right. I mean, the goal is to get the audience engaged enough that they're actually. You know, by episode three, really tracking these details, like yeah, but the ball hair discrepancy. I keep coming <laughs> oh, back to that, <laughs> and like <laughs> the uh,
0: right. It's like in making a murder. It's like, but he how do you know the license plate without anyone telling you? You want water cooler talk or serial or yeah, yeah, I that
2: stuff. Yeah, and I want because that's the thing with these uh, these true crime documentaries. I I love them, um, and I find myself like listening to serial, like yeah, but you know, it's the Nisha call. But sure, like, sure. yeah, but I just don't like Jay's story. There are these sure. holes. And like, there wasn't a phone booth that the best buy and all of these things that keep going back and forth. And I think like, you know, kind of what we're satirizing is that I'm not really concerned with the murder of this high school girl. At some point, I'm just like mm-hmm. playing detective and trying right. to figure out if I'm a judge of character. And I think right. that's like, we're fascinated by injustice Right. And it's, like, really ripe for parody to see if the, the tools of a really well-told documentary can get you to care about dicks. This isn't about dicks. This is about the justice system. So
1: just to back up a little bit, in case people aren't totally clear from the audio soundbite, uh, American Vandal is a show on Netflix that's, like, how, what's, what's the logline for American Vandal?
2: Yeah, it's basically the high school version of uh, Making a Murderer where there's a potential injustice at Hanover High School where a student is expelled for spray-painting dicks all over the high school. Basically, the show is following this kid, this SoCal stoner, Dylan Maxwell, who may have been wrongly expelled for a crime he didn't commit. Right. And And we take it as as seriously as I'm explaining it to you. Like, when I'm talking to the crew and I'm talking to actors, we just wanted it. We know how stupid everything is and we just really wanted to... You know, make but, it feel as much like the Jinx sure. as possible.
0: But do you know from the beginning that he did not commit, like whether he committed the crime or not, is that something that you tell your actors and the crew, or because in the Jinx, obviously we don't
2: know, they don't no, know. We took, sure. it, we took it pretty seriously. So what we did was, I told, I told Jimmy Tatro who plays Dylan, so he knew. I mean, I guess the full he crew knew
1: whether he was guilty the, or not.
2: The full, yeah, Andrew the James. full crew knew. Uh, If they had the scripts, if you're a principal, they got all eight scripts, Mm -hmm. but we also had, uh, I did sheets for everybody because so much of how we operated was with improv. Uh, So I would give like the school board's key witness. I would, he had like a three page document of like, this is what you, this is what you saw. This is what you said you saw on the day. This is what you said to Mrs. Shapiro the next day and Mm -hmm. all of these things. This is what she asked you. And then because those aren't things he says to us, but that's like he knows what he's saying. And this is why he's saying this to the documentarian. But everybody has their like sheets of like what they actually believe in now. Do you give them
0: like any sort of motivation type thing? Like if they if they say anything about your wife, like change the subject, like, you know, trying to stay away from certain topics. Um, things like that. Yeah, I mean, like, do they know what they're going to be interviewed about?
2: I wanted to keep them on their toes as much as possible, so a lot of it's unusable. But I would like the first thing we shot was I sat down. Our our this eighteen-year-old actor who plays a sophomore in high school. And we went through the whole script and all the facts of the case. And the, the kid worked his, his butt off. And he really had like an encyclopedic knowledge of the actor. whole world. Our lead actor, yeah. Well, he plays the documentarian. He's not, oh, okay. you know, it's arguable. The, the guy he's who's expelled. The, he's the, is, Sarah he's the Sarah Koenig. He's the Sarah exactly. So the first thing we did was have our Sarah Koenig talk to our Adnan. Like the first thing we shot was like, all right, you have 40 minutes to do an interview. And that way,
1: oh fun! So you're not feeding him
2: questions or anything. He's, that's right. He, yeah.
1: Oh, he's just literally interviewing. Right. The so subject. we we that's had a so script. Good, man.
2: We had a script. Sure. But if it ever felt too scripted, then we could find. You know, he's going to phrase questions in a different way because mm-hmm. he's an 18 year old kid, and right. and our other actor is going to be reacting differently because he doesn't know what question he's going to be asked. So those pauses and the, the stutters and everything adds like. So Wait,
0: but then, does the interviewer know the answers to the questions he's asking? Yeah, we've
2: told him all this stuff. We've given him the sheet. He's read the script, so he okay. knows, like, you know. He knows his character's perspective, but he doesn't know
1: how he's going to answer necessarily in yeah. the moment.
2: And sometimes he would, like, he would pause on something. I'm like, you know, yeah. now, you're, you're Spanish class. Oh, like, oh, that's right. Right, right, sure, sure.
0: And was that a decision that you made early on? Like, when you auditioned them, did you have them improvise and stuff?
2: We got pretty lucky. Because we didn't vet that as much as we vetted just like executing the scene work. And it worked. The improv style worked better for some than others. Mm -hmm. Thank God our our lead, uh, Jimmy Tatro, just like really responded to it. Because if if he didn't work in that style, like he really nailed the scene work. And we played with him in the the interview a little bit. But we didn't know the extent of how, how good his improv skills were. So we really lucked out there.
0: And so doing like just hours of unusable improv was probably no big deal on your 100-day schedule, right?
2: Uh, well, you know, it was a 25-day schedule for eight, eight episodes. Eight half-hours? Eight half-hour episodes. Like 30 minutes or 22 yeah, th- minutes? Yeah, 30-minute episodes. So four hours of content. Oh, wow. That's crazy. That's yeah, pretty crazy, right? Yeah.
0: 25 days to shoot like
1: four features. That is uh, that is less like than... Like four long features. My Go Ninety show. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah right? Yeah. I don't know where all the money goes. I, yeah, because your your budgets were significantly higher than mine, Is right? It, like, yeah, I think we talked about that. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. Is that was that we'll your Maserati can't. out here? That you pulled up? <laughs> I Just didn't go in go my pocket. <laughs> <one>. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, I guess be Joe Harnesty. I
1: I do wonder where. I mean, IOTC like, crew, right? That's a part of it, right? Yeah, and
2: then like. More background and like better toys, I guess. I guess, but and there's so many things that are annoying too. Like, do you know you can't direct background actors mm-hmm, without getting right. well, a bump? You that can't. is the the worst. that, that yeah. is the worst. You can't. Yeah. But but things like you go to a house and there's a there's a fireplace where it's literally a button sure. that you press to turn on the fireplace. But you need a fire marshal, right. <laughs> you need an, like right. a, a medic, and you need insurance, uh, and it. It ends up being like three thousand dollars to literally to press a button, a thing that the homeowner literally does all the time. In the trailer, they
0: draw penises on like a bunch of cars. Did you have to buy those cars?
2: <laughs> no, that's uh, they have like chalk spray paint that right. comes off pretty mm-hmm. easily.
1: It's funny. I um my senior year, um, a bunch of people for their senior prank used uh, spray chalk to like vandalize the school, and they all got um. Not expelled, but they weren't allowed to walk. And it was this huge scandal. So it's very funny to me that there's like a a vandalism theme as your true crime
2: documentary. It, it really it speaks to me is what I'm saying, Tony. It's I, I think it's so, it is relatable. Yeah. And like yeah. in high school, you can put yourself in the shoes of like, that was the big, like getting expelled was, like, sure, was it was, the- was going to go on your permanent record. So all the other sort of tangential stories about like motive and alibi and all of these sure. other high school stories, because you're in that world, you remember how important these things were at the time. So even it's yeah. like, it's the most medium stakes crime you can think of. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. I love the idea too, and this is just something I gleaned from the trailer, I could be wrong, but I like that this guy is like a, a jerk. He's like known as a vandal, right? Everyone, this is exactly the yeah. type of thing he did, so because of that, they just assume he did it. But the, the idea of like, the it's like making a murder. I mean, this guy threw a cat into a fire, but if he didn't kill this girl, he already served his time, you know? Uh, so I, I like that like, a question of, like, just because someone's a bad guy doesn't mean mean right. they're guilty.
2: That's true. And I also just like that generally in comedy, too, when you can challenge empathy. Like, I think David Brent is my favorite protagonist who's, like, uh, you know, the... I love the American version too, but Steve Carell has deep down has a heart of gold. Where right, David Brent's—he's a real of, piece of <laughs> shit, of <a> right? Brent, <laughs> where, Like, I love Kenny Powers, and you're like, sure. how am I like feeling bad for this guy at this point?
1: So, Tony, I think you you kind of hitting on a thing. Maybe we can kind of go big and then step backwards a little bit. So, tell us more about, um, you know, last time we spoke, you were making like music videos and doing sketches and kind of like. You know, doing great, but like, uh, you didn't have a, a Netflix show. You so you've got saved that money under your belt, right? Little Dicky hits are like we happening. Also,
2: we also did this series of uh, thirty for thirty documentaries, right? Uh, which which did you did before well. Little Dicky, uh, yeah, and a little before, a little after, like kind of during, yeah. And then uh, we did that uh, flushing cake thing, right? For, so yeah, I, right. I I've been interested in. Using documentary tools for mm-hmm. like narrative comedy, like even save that money merges, right? You know, merges medium brings documentary, right? It's like a helped. behind the
0: scenes video that is the video,
2: right? And the thirty for thirty
1: videos, it's like you treat, you know, a space, fictional, jam. space like, jam, space jam, space jam like cool. it really happened, right? yeah, yeah. So Rocky like
2: before like Rocky, really ended the Cold War. So
1: it's old, like white haired dudes talking about how Space Jam was really the biggest. Game of all time, and walking through how Michael Jordan, you know, you know, was getting his butt handed to him, and then saves the day, and but like the Monstars are a real formidable team, and all of that stuff. It's like the best. It's like so funny. But to set set the table, basically, it's like oh, you do have like a a track record of like solid, funny, um, documentary comedy, basically,
2: right? And and this, which is what our show ends up being. So it's like. Even though I have no TV experience, I was, people were able to sell that, like, that's proof of concept in a way. Um, And there's this guy, Alec Botnick, who's a, who was a fan of the the 30 for 30 series we did. Right. He's at CBS Television Studios. And uh, he's a, he's a Sixers fan. So we're just like watching the game the day I had this idea uh, with my, my writing partner, Dan Peralt, who I co-created the show with. Um, and it's just me and Botnik getting drinks one night. And I'm like telling him this idea. And he's like, he's like, I like that. Let's like, let's go try and pitch it. And you just came up with that idea
0: while you guys were watching.
2: No, it's like I came up with that it this morning and I like had the pitch. I'm like, yeah, I felt good about the idea. Like it's really topical. I think it's a really fresh take sure. on something that is very ripe for parody. Um, and and it was much, right in our wheelhouse. So how much do you have to pitch him in that? at that moment I mean, he's I, a I friend t- of yours i talked for like i talked for like five minutes but i was also like i i was pretty stoked on the idea sure. so he like, can read it on me that when I you was know like, it's I a I great idea this. yeah yeah um but at the end of the day i never thought it would go tv so he's like this guy at cbs and like he's very good at his job he knows everybody right so he's like let's let's do a shopping agreement we'll shop it around and my thought was he said that right. that night yeah, but essentially, yeah.
1: But a shopping agreement when you're at CBS Studios, it's like, you know, you do those all the time. It's right. not like... Yeah, right. but it's basically attached. You attach CBS that night, more or less.
2: More or less. No, nothing official or anything. It's like the day
0: before you had nothing,
2: and then the yeah. next day you had... Um, and uh, the, my logic for, for doing it was that Verizon Go90 or YouTube Red or one of like I, I was going to make it for them, but I wanted... like two months of taking meetings maybe we'd get some script deals i'd shake some hands meet some people people would be like oh that's a fun idea and then i'd go make it sure sure digital after and a couple of years later you yeah but then come like oh i remember them. you you're the guy with the yeah, dick yeah, show the that thing. was funny yeah yeah, yeah. that yeah. was that was the plan but then i don't know just like we got this uh th- this pitch really came along uh joe farrell from Funnier die really helped make it a, a very entertaining pitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alec, Wait, so how did Alec you bonding. connect with, with the funnier Die people? I just, Alec hooked you up? I guess I knew people from Funnier die Die, knew people from College Humor. I knew, so like different production companies, I went to them, different studios, and we are just like, like, hey, yeah, let's go get together pitching this show, not necessarily thinking uh, that it was realistic.
0: Was there one, but, so you went to a bunch of companies and then Funnier Die was like, yeah, we're into this.
2: Well, the production services, like everybody, they have nothing to lose. They're not writing checks. So if right, they like the idea, right. they, they might as well. They made good money on the show. But so you can't sure. have more than one company pitching this, right? We had in our room when we were pitching the show, we had CBS as a studio. We had Three Arts as you right. know my management company. And we had Funny or Die as production services. And there was like somebody from UTA in the room. So we ended up like just having this sure entourage and uh then we pitched it to networks with that team
1: so right but but in terms of like signing up with funny or die their win is that they have free ip to go pitch with and you get and the, a studio attached and a studio attached and you get the credibility of being like oh well it's not just cbs it's also funny or die and so right.
2: like it's a handshake agreement more or less but like yeah you know yeah, and and, and, direct- every- and their handshakes with C- CBS values their relationship right. with Funny or Die. Everybody, nobody wants to screw anybody over at sure, that sure. stage because they're all, yeah. uh, successful yeah. companies, and, and
1: everyone has something to gain and
2: like not that much to lose. Basically, yeah. a lot of a lot of f- smart people at Funny or Die too who helped craft the pitch. Right. Joe Ferrell, Kate Lilly, these guys like right, really.
0: Right. And you had directed for Funny or Die before. Like, did they know you as a director?
2: Uh, yeah, I had relationships over there. I wasn't directing a lot for them, but. Uh,
0: like, was there ever a moment where they're like, oh, this is a great idea. Let's, like, attach a director, a different director? Did no, anyone ever no, I that? think
2: uh, because it was so low budget uh, and they've done shows, like, in this range before one of the toughest steps is like attaching the director and Mm. so it was like almost an advantage to be like and this guy it's it's so funny how it works it's like this hot young director who's doing all these great little dicky videos and like he's up and coming and they're really like building me up and then as soon as that we sell the show they're like he's done nothing what he's done some (laughs) fucking little dicky videos like give me a fucking break Tony. let's get let's get somebody wait but but who is they (laughs) that said that uh, like you know, everyone, the the people who wouldn't like the draft that week, and right, like, right. it was sure, sure. you know, yeah, someone's in a bad mood and they're like, nobody's going to be like, ah, yeah, but trust Tony, like he right, knows what sure, sure. he like, nor should they, like in there, you know, I believe mm-hmm. in myself, but why would you, <laughs> right, right, based on thirty for thirty Space Jam, you're not going to be like, oh sure, yeah, sure. my this is a monetary investment that I'm very safe about. Yeah. Yeah, We've got a couple million dollars writing on this guy. Yeah.
0: yeah. I was just talking about this today with a different producer. There's like this weird relationship between directors and producers where I feel like the producers are always trying to make sure you feel like they're doing you a favor by giving you the job, but they never like say like, by the way, we're getting more jobs because you did like a good job for us. You know, can you think of any specific things that took your pitch from uh like you having an idea and telling it to alec while you're hanging out to being a show that people want to buy like what did uh like the funnier die people add to it to make it like an instant sell
2: well they always knew when we talked about the facts of the case very serious so we went like we were pitching a documentary like it was a crime that really happened and i guess my writing partner dan would talk about you know, Hanover High, and he would—he had sheets of paper on the on the mm-hmm. table. Where you're like, Fine. these are the whiteboard dicks, these are the parking lot dicks, and you can see the difference. So sure, sure. Who's gonna change their, you know, their dick drawing style on on one day? And then like the school board's key witness also claimed to have got to second base with with Sarah Pearson.
0: So Dan Absolutely. is like pitching his innocence. So, in the... yeah, in
2: he's he's basically like he's this deadpan exhibit. Sort of a, exhibit B. He's right. kind of but doing he's a performance. pictures of penises. And then I would talk more, you know, high level about execution, about how it's coming from a place. We're not making fun of these documentaries because I mm-hmm. really love these documentaries. Sure. Like, just like in the Thirty for Thirties, I would I could binge Thirty for Thirties all right. day. It's like so it's fiction. coming from a place of love, yeah, where like yeah. I want to use the the tools that. I really respect from these super talented filmmakers to tell something really stupid. Um, So it's it's great also because it's funny
1: or die is in the room. You don't have to ever wink to anyone and say like, Hey, Dan, Dan's joking, right? You get to play the joke as straight as possible, which is exactly how the show is.
2: Yeah. And I think it was an entertaining pitch for that reason. Like they don't like, it was like half performance and yeah. half like, oh I've never seen a show like this. That's this really cool. cool.
0: That's so is great, that man. what funnier day helped you kind of develop is like the That was our instincts show. to
2: begin. Honestly, I had some some of our some of my first pitches. I got some advice where they are like, no, that's not how you do a pitch. Like you gotta come in, mm-hmm. you say the 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 setting first and then you say your characters and right. then you go say what happens in the pilot and then you go through like a season and it was just like this is how you this is how pitches work you're right. I like I think I'm going to ignore like you're you're very successful <laughs> sure. and I think I'm gonna ignore everything you just said because that's not how our show functions right. our, our show functions like Okay, so on March fifteenth, two thousand sixteen, the greatest crime in the history of Hanover High School occurred. Right. Twenty-seven dicks were vandalized, and like that's how you would start a documentary. That's how we're going to start our pitch. Right. And uh, the and, it's and we just had people Hanover. who were like who were like yeah it, when you're doing that stuff when you're doing the deadpan like mm-hmm. that's the funniest stuff do more of that and mm-hmm. the the other like even do less of the stuff I'm like oh I like I like what you're saying and we would just go in that direction so smart
0: but don't you think you're you're doing what those people are saying but you're doing it in in this kind of creative way that's like you're saying this is a story that takes place at hanover
2: high on the day that
0: this giant thing that's what that's right and this is my my point was everyone thinks like
2: i'm not going to talk about set and now here are the characters and this is what this character is like this is what this character is like like you should you'll be able to to gather who these characters are through right. me talking about it right. like case data. Through, through the performance. Which is how well. the show will function, right. too. Right. And I think that made the pitch funnier. But I think the laughs that we got in the pitch are kind of come from the same place that mm-hmm. we get laughs in the show. Yeah. Where we're you're getting character information based on case data. Yeah. In, that's in so the,
1: fascinating, too, because I feel like maybe if you were pitching a more conventional show tonally then it's easier to go ahead and do a conventional pitch. Right. But you kind of have to make sure that the people that are buying the show from you get it. Right. Right. Because like, if they're like, there are no jokes in this documentary, this is just like a crime drama. Right. Then, then you're in trouble and like the show isn't going to really find its home. I you know com- I, mean? I
2: completely agree, and yeah. you know who knows if the if it's. Gonna, I'm very proud of the show, right? I sure, think sure. there's genuinely never been a show like this where it's just fully committed to, like feeling like a like a crime documentary. Like you've seen mockumentaries a lot, mm-hmm. but this level of conviction to such a stupid thing is like, and it's possible it hasn't been done for a reason. <laughs> sure, and and we'll and we'll see. But for me, like. That's the show that excited me. And if you wanted me to water it down or make a different version of the show, I'm not interested in catering the pitch to make the show that I wouldn't be able to make good anyway. I had this conversation
0: with a friend yesterday about a title, how like the title of whatever your thing is, has to like tell people the tone right. of what what the show is. And I think Amer- I love American Vandal, by the way, that title. Is that was that from Actually, the beginning?
2: I just had my my first press ever was with Newsweek this morning. Oh, fun. They're like, okay, Newsweek. is Sure. They're interested in the show. They saw the trailer. This is interesting. We want to interview based on the trailer. This guy's writing an article about why there's this trend where all of these shows have American in the title. <laughs> well, it does make me think of
1: American movie.
2: Have you seen that one? I love them. Oh, okay. man, American movie. So good. Again. I haven't thought about it. Because we were talking, I think the article is like it adds some sort of gravitas uh-huh, where it like sure. kind of doesn't belong, in, and we're kind of poking fun of that a right. little bit. Like. It's
1: it's also like uh, I comma like I robot or something, yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. like, you know, like I feel like it's the same sort of
0: format. Yeah, I mean, part of what makes your pitch so easy to receive is like this is the biggest thing that happened at Hanover High, right? Like all you need to say is Hanover High, and we already like are in a world, sure, right? Yeah. Whereas if you're pitching like the leftovers. It's like, okay, it's six months after ninety-eight two percent of the world's population has disappeared, unexpected. Like, you have to teach the people so many things about the setting, but there's something very like all-American about a high school. Totally. That that I don't know. To me, American makes sense. I, I guess to extrapolate from like the title having to tell you what the project is. What Matt you're saying is like the pitch has to be in the vein of.
1: The project, yeah, I, I think not necessarily for every show ever, but I think in this case it makes complete sense that it's a little bit of a litmus test to
2: making sure that the people who are buying it get what you're trying to make. I think it's important to do that with even hiring people, staffing up, sure. like talking about you know the hiring a showrunner. It was right. smart I wanted them to interact with the script and there were people who like gave notes that I really didn't like, mm-hmm. so I didn't hire you know. Yeah, there were yeah. people who were like, It's great, I wouldn't change a thing and I knew that was wrong. Sure. And then there you know, the guy we ended up hiring had certain things like, Yeah, this joke is funny, but what if you just cut the the tag? Like I think it's still funny here and it's more realistic and oh, that's the type of, this mm-hmm. is the type of note I want. Yeah, because it's just about grounding person. things, right? right? You know, like, yeah, there, it's also actionable. Can. Sure, that's right?
1: true. But I guess, like, there's a lot of funny people out there that you can hire, no problem. But, like, making sure that someone can make something funny and also ground it as hard as you need to, that's probably... Pretty
2: hard find, and and what you're talking to about litmus test for like the voice of the show too, like sure, it's not just a matter of reading the person's script you like the most and then trying to romance mm-hmm. them into working on your project. It's uh, uh, presenting what you think is funny, and if they also think it's funny, because at the end of the day, all all we can do is make stuff that makes us laugh, right? And if if it makes me laugh, I'm I'm hoping. You know, I'm, I'm getting very nervous because we're like about a month away from from the release, so yeah, it's man. just like it makes the show makes me laugh. I just got a little nervous, but <laughs> the, the, the the trailer's doing really well though, right? Like, the, oh, dude, the trip. Uh, I just found out that it's like like the most virally shared, socially shared trailer that like Netflix has ever had on on Facebook, which is yeah, different. Yeah. Like, so that they, makes sense, then. and it's like funny or die. There's a bunch of caveats of like why that probably happened because funnier die posted it and mm-hmm. then like This company unilad posted mm-hmm. that video and facebook is kind of a new phenomenon and like You look at the stranger things trailer that has like 8 million views and mm-hmm. ours has like a million on youtube, but Our facebook video has like 30 million hits right now. Whoa. Nice yeah, it's pretty crazy That's cr- that's incredible. Well, so l- let's talk about netflix
1: actually because it, to me, you know, you reverse engineer it, it's like, okay, like Netflix is having a great, great success with like younger audiences right now, right? Like Thirteen Reasons Why is like a huge, huge hit for them. It's over indexing, and then you've got Making of a Murderer and and uh, uh, Amanda Knox and kind of all of those things. So it's like this perfect storm. So of course Netflix wants it, but that wasn't always the plan, right? So like you, you're pitching around things are going great. Uh, Why Netflix?
2: Well, I do think it's a our show is very bingeable sure and at the end of the day it was like i certainly wanted wanted it to go to netflix or a hulu or somebody where we would be able to make the episodes the right the runtime like they didn't all have to clock in at a network allotted time slot that we could use whatever content we wanted and not have to yeah uh, if it were a network show that would come uh, with all sorts FCC, of fcc what's that yeah yeah
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so yeah. and you directed every episode right That's right. Yeah. And how did you
2: interact with the showrunner? Like in terms Uh, of making the show? showrunner was, was super supportive. Yeah. I think, I think there were times where like I was getting probably, there were some doubters, uh, -hmm. or, or people that, you know, if, if I had a less supportive showrunner, things could have played much differently, but he, uh, He's very supportive throughout. We had the idea. We came in with like a spine and like what we knew more or less the major turning points of the season when we went into the writers' room. But he, I'd never been in a writers' room, and he just like ran the whole thing. He'd be at the whiteboard like. Uh, you know, the room would be pitching an idea and it would be bumping for me because it mm-hmm. wasn't like, I'm like, oh, that wouldn't happen in a true crime documentary. So he'd be like, so how can we address Tony's issue by doing this? Right. And he would like curate the room. And he was like, he's a super talented writer himself. His name, his name is Dan Lagana. Uh-huh. Uh, he did uh, a show called Zack Stone is going to be famous. On uh, It was on uh, right. MTV. It was he Bo, a Burnham, Bo show. Burnham show. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so... It was we were just it was a pleasure to have him. I mean, we would I feel feel like we would argue. Well, we would like yeah, only that's that's yell at each thing. other like twice on set when he's like, <laughs> "Like you're done. You, you That was your last take. No, I need two more takes." That only happened like only happened a few times. It but was like
0: really good. He's partially responsible to bring the show in on time and budget, right? Yeah. And are you? He enough? also
2: knows I'm a first time director that nobody had. Yeah. You know, but, there's a lot of a lot riding on so
0: right, but I mean you're not really a first time director I mean you're
2: directed like a ton of stuff. they they don't care at all <laughs> they don't care at all. and then now that it's done and cool, now that they like that's great news now that they like now that they like the stuff, then they're like, oh yeah no those little Dicky videos are great oh uh, yeah he's now it's back to like they care about the other stuff but right. I think <laughs> like when they're in it like right but so, so
0: good. How much are you worried about the budget when you're on set directing, since you're not the
2: showrunner? I was worried about the budget because I don't care. Well, I shouldn't say this. (laughs) But, like, I'm just trying to make this show the best show it should be. Uh, But I knew uh, we were shooting it like a documentary. Mm -hmm. And I saw the post schedule I was given. And I was like, this is, yes, I'll approve it. But this is not going to happen. Like, we're going to go we need more time with this. Yeah, yeah. So I can't... Like, I was very conscious about coming in on schedule, on budget for this shoot. Because I knew because I needed that money in, in post. Yeah. And I did. So thank God that worked out. Because and, uh, and we we had to extend post, like... Not as much as we thought I thought we would. Sure. Honestly. We, we extended it like two, three weeks, but...
1: So, so talk to us a little bit. So you're on set, right? And you're kind of trying some unorthodox ways of shooting, right? We were talking a little bit about that off mic and even previously.
2: Which, like, which, by the way, yeah. I got to throw you guys some credit for, I think you did an episode with Orin Brimmer, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. who talked about doing improv take first. Uh, so like I told you, we did the talking head interviews and I would run it purely like an interview first, right? I'd let him just run and do it. Um, but then like the scenes that are more scene work, uh, the way he talked about it just made so much sense to me where Mm -hmm. if, uh, you know, if you do the improv take second, they've already like, they know the beats and it's just like alts on the Mm -hmm. architecture that's already there that they've already built out and it might go off by a degree or two, but it's not going to be an entirely different thing. Or if you just don't tell the camera people the blocking and you like, sure it, just let it happen anything can happen and that's so important for the format of our show because right. we would end up shooting what's scripted but if it ever felt too scripted then you could find an awkward moment or like mm-hmm. a weird pause or something that like sh- wouldn't make a normal show because it's too weird but it would make a documentary because that was the best coverage you had
1: right the stuff that you would uh cut out of a normal show is kind of what you need to manufacture in a mockumentary yeah, exactly yeah. yeah it's funny because um on the go 90 show that i did uh it's a mockumentary as well and there were plenty of moments that i got super stressed out because i realized i'm about to call action and i don't know what the second half of this take is going to look like right like i like i've i've roughed things in for people but i intentionally they're not improving quite the same way that it sounds like you guys were but blocking was very rough so that my camera team didn't really know where they were going to go so that things would get messy and hard and um from a pre-visualization standpoint that's like pretty stressful and shitty because you're like well like i know who i know things are going to get covered like this camera's on that person that camera's on the other person so like i'll see their faces and stuff but i don't know if the shot's going to be good or what and there's something cringy to me about that but also essential when you're making a documentary
2: i found it kind of exciting to oh good to come up with these rules because i right. would be able to like feel comfortable because we had i think a really smart set of rules that i came up with our uh, cinematographer adam bricker where we would talk about how documentary scenes are often cut together like mockumentary has more of like a cross-coverage type right. langu- language but a documentary is normally one camera and the way they'll cut a scene together it'll be like a 40 minutes of a camera roaming around picking stuff but they'll cut it down to two by just like at some point they'll grab a reaction shot from another part of a scene and try to f- fix it together and They're i wanted to force things. our editors yeah, to yeah. steal things and make those things so that's right. like one rule well, and, or and, like quiz our, our camera operator would have things like he would like get to the right height of the the sophomore documentarian and he, we would like as we evolved like when he when the actor was talking over his shoulder like okay now you can't be panning or opping or f- zooming and like maybe the The framing should be like falling off a little bit and stuff. And just like, oh, oh, as they're talking to him? Yeah, 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 or as he's talking to them, as he's like, well, well, Miss Shapiro, what do you think about this? If he has that line while opping the camera, he can't be like zooming or anything. Naturally, he's
1: going to kind of, his attention is going to shift into something where he's conversing rather than
2: operating. Right. So, like those rules, once you have those rules, for me, it was like, not knowing how it's gonna end in the shot was almost invigorating because yeah, you yeah. Would just be like, I, "I believe, I believe in the madness yeah. of of the rules that we've created."
1: That's fun, man. Oh, and we should also say, Bricker shot Amanda Knox and uh, Chef's, Chef's table. table. Yeah, yeah. And That's House right. of Thrones, the Quiznos video. Oh,
2: did he? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's a he's a really smart guy. Yeah, he's good.
0: Um, yeah, I, I didn't know he shot Amanda Knox or Chef's Table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. Um, it's the right guy over the
2: job. Yeah, seriously.
0: So let's rewind back and I'm gonna get into a selfish portion here because I there's a chance I might be showrunning this show and I'm like there's the things that are stressing me out, which are mainly the writing part. How did you figure out like what each episode was gonna be? You said you had kind of a spine, you knew where you wanted it to end and some milestones, but when you got into the writer's room with the showrunner and everyone, how did you know like, Here's what's happening in episode one in episode two and
2: episode three. Well, we just invented certain things like, you know, they find where they find the spray can was something that wasn't in the pitch, but then that was a three episode arc and mm-hmm. you ended up. So where does that go? And it's just like you're bringing different things and you're just filling stuff out and it moves. And we had, we had 10 weeks and really s- smart people. And how many people were was, in the room? It was really fun. I had 10 people.
0: Ten yeah. writers, ten writers and did and how many episodes ten episodes uh, eight episodes And so how did the writing get split up?
2: Uh, the, a lot of the writers were in teams. Mm-hmm. So nice the the McManus brothers are two for one for a while I wrote it with the I wrote the first episode with Dan Peralt my writing partner our showrunner wrote the second episode and then uh, a bunch of a Mike Rizzolio Lauren Hurstick, Jess Meyer uh, and Amy Pocha and Seth Cohen were the other writers. Oh, cool. Seth that's, Cohen
1: from The O.C. Yes. that's. I know the, I cool know the get, guy. man. So good. <laughs> um,
0: um, first, you have kind of what happens from beginning to end, and then you start trying to figure out how it fits
2: in the episode structure. That's right. And then, I mean, when we got into the room, I, I did want the first week to be like, let's, let's do everything against the mm-hmm. wall, too. Like, if maybe... Maybe somebody else entirely did it or, you know, right, whatever. right. Like,
1: and were there instances where you were like, hey, let's watch the jinx and making him a murderer and, you know, all of the kind of obvious texts and then say, what's our analog of, you know, Stephen Avery throwing a cat in a fire or finding a key piece of evidence? Were you ever like trying to cherry pick the tropes of
2: those Everybody was really good stuff? about doing yeah. their homework and coming in. So we had that language where, yeah, yeah. like, we would have, I was impressed with the room that we would have arguments that were like, no, the, the in the staircase, they find the blow in episode 8 and mm-hmm. like, no, that was episode six. And, like, the fact that we're having, like, these detailed arguments. I mean, p- yeah, people yeah. really, like, shared shared that language, which was, which was fun that people That's really fun. cared about the show.
0: Yeah. And then do you feel like you have some sort of, obligation to like surprise people like do crazy stuff like you know and like Game of Thrones style where you're like are killing off a character randomly like in episode six like what what do you do in that those 10 weeks of writing to make sure that this show is surprising people and they're like can't wait to get to the next episode
2: well we I mean it's like it's looking at a lot of the references and the stuff that I loved about these true crime documentaries. And like, what's the stupid high school version of that turning Mm -hmm. point? What's the stupid high school version of this cliffhanger right here? And, uh, just making sure that it it was always, the audience is always the, the engine that's carrying the show is whether or not like tipping the scale one way or the other Mm -hmm. on Dylan Maxwell's innocence. And, like I like to think there are there are stretches of of three minutes that won't get a laugh, but people will be like trying to figure out the prank call record. Sure, sure. Or, right. And and
1: thinking about something so stupid is an, on a meta level very funny.
2: Yeah, you know,
1: you know it's it's absurd to be thinking about it. Yeah, I yeah.
2: I actually think the if a broad audience is gonna like the show, I think they're gonna miss some of the. The humor mm-hmm. so if we were going to like broaden it up even more it wouldn't be adding more jokes it would mm-hmm. be making the mystery even juicier <laughs> and that's i mean that this is how in success this, this show runs and sure. i think like for me i you know I, I think it i think there's never been a show like it
0: so sorry i'm just i haven't i do not have a lot of writer's room experience so i'm just like uh asking these questions for myself but so let's say so it's week one of your show let's say it's day two you guys are all 10 writers are in there
2: well let me ask you how far is the creative on what you have now um we have
0: well we have kind of our main characters worked out we know we have the pilot we know where we want the characters to get to at the end and that's that's pretty much it we have like an ideas for the middle that there's kind of three of us that are really coming up with it. And a lot of the ideas like two of us like, and the third person doesn't like, and we're like, well, let's just keep this for now. We'll find something better. Um, and then we're working on it with CW Seed and they have expressed some, they, they have some thoughts on things they, they want us to do, like make things a little more sophisticated, maybe add a couple female characters, that type of thing. But, you know, we're, we're very, at the very beginning stages of figuring out, and we know the show, the tone, the feel, like the pilot, how the characters interact, but we just don't really know what happens in episode three or four or
2: seven or ten. So that stuff's fun, man. You're in that's a really fun part of the it's process. It's Like the I honeymoon phase, right? Yeah. Yeah, you find the stuff I mean there are frustrating parts. Like you go down a you might have a a day and a half where you've gone down a road and you're like, Fuck, it doesn't work. Like that's the worst. That it, it does happen, but it's you know, you trust the process.
0: But what's the like what are the nuts and bolts of the process? So it's like your second day of in the writer's room, what does your showrunner say? He stands at the whiteboard and he says Okay I, I think, guys. Yeah, I think
1: there is something weird about uh the fundamentals of like literally like who sits where and like what do you write on the board and what don't you write on the board that can be like a little
2: intimidating because you know the there's no textbook for it, right? He had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight in like columns, and it would just be like, okay, this could happen here, and they were like, sure. And so he little you things you're filling in like yeah. a like a corkboard, and he would erase, and all right, maybe well, maybe that was that's an episode four thing, um, and you know, I would be like, I'd be like, Dan, man, maybe we should, can we work backwards a little bit? Can we talk about mm-hmm. like? seven and eight and then it's like okay let's and then we would shift gears and we can um and is there some
0: sort of structure to a season that's maybe like feature-like like Like, do you know you want to have some like big failure like in episode six or something you know um like an end of act two
2: type of moment or oh that's interesting like in the in, the, stri- in this, the arc of the season? Well, for true crime documentaries, like in the jinx you find about the cadaver le- letter in the penultimate episode. And, like, mm-hmm. so that was one of the things we kind of modeled our structure off of. Like, the climax happening in the penultimate episode was something we, you know, we looked at. Um, and we looked at like you would have something like oh you find about the second murder of making a murder at the end of the pilot okay Mm -hmm. like there's a big turning point there and you just see how they did it in this stuff i mean i guess we had a very clear direction that we wanted to go that that helped us
1: yeah but i think that that's probably true for everybody uh to an extent right like you can kind of reverse engineer like oh these are the things that we like the best out of this season of television or a movie or whatever i i think you know yeah the answer is like those fundamental storytelling questions um i think they almost always have an analog in a season of tv or a sure. or half season of and
2: there'll be times where you're like okay this is the perfect like end of episode five turning point and mm-hmm. like And then you just, you'd realize that some of the stuff before it is a little late and some Mm -hmm. of the stuff after it's a little heavier, like, okay, I guess that has to be like a midpoint turning point. Now we have to come up with something even more juicy in in this area right now to leave somebody as, uh, you know, a cliffhanger on an episode. And sometimes that stuff is frustrating and sometimes like, oh, I'm so glad we did brainstorming on this area right now because we've introduced this new element to the show. And do you t- try to have like A, B,
0: and C plot lines or does not that for our matter? show.
2: I mean our show is very much a documentary. So right. like they don't have and now this character's out there doing this. And you're like intercutting like you would a scripted narrative. It'd be
1: great if Amanda Knox's boyfriend was just like running around like <laughs> trying to order a pizza or something.
2: Yeah. yeah. And actually like whenever I would get notes. I would get notes, studio notes. Those are the ones I hated the most that were like normal, like good screenwriting notes. Like right. these are people that like, no, you can't give them a, a, a storyline. Like, no, you can't give the, the documentarian a love interest. Right. And like, right. cause that just wouldn't, if, if yeah. Andrew Jarecki had a crush on the <laughs> right, gaffer, right. Sure. They w- it just wouldn't be in the documentary. I'm sure maybe that sure. happened. Yeah, yeah. The jinx is
0: pretty linear, but making a murder, I mean, we do go off on Brandon's story for quite a while, right? That's like, true, but
2: it's all of the. Pe- like, uh, when I would get stuff about the documentarian or something, like something right. that didn't belong. And when we go off on, on Brandon, it's still about this miscarriage of justice. We would never purely go off on, like, but these were his hobbies and these were. Like, sure. It would yeah, be yeah. like, this is you know, the kind of idiot he, like, this is, this is how, this, this guy is susceptible to a, a coerced mm-hmm. confession. So this is why we're going into this story. So we could tell these high school stories, as long as there was always a true crime reason into it. Um, and we we stay pretty steadfast to those rules, which is why I think it's a pretty unique show. Um, but, it's so tempting to be like, oh, yeah, but you could just have this nice little sure. moment between the documentarian and, like, no, but it doesn't, it wouldn't happen in Making a Murderer, and uh, if we end up, like, making concessions, then what are mm-hmm. we doing with this show? Right. If, if you're doing it all, you're doing nothing. It's kind of a nice gift,
1: too, because uh, there's a part of me that's like, well, yeah, it would be fun to, like, give the documentarian a crush or something right. like that. Right, Like, like, the, you know the parks and rec spinoff version of that, right. That's not really a mockumentary, but like it's shot that way. You would do that, you know, the office would do that. Right. Um, Yeah. But because there's such a strict dogma around these specific films and it's relatively narrow, right? Like the, you know, you've got basically from the thin blue line to the jinx and like, that's kind of it in terms of like time. You can, you can watch every single Genuinely great true crime documentary, and that's not true for most genres of fiction, right? And
2: it's exploding. It's get, they're getting more and more because sure. people like are loving the genre. Sure, but, but I think a, it's a jo- watchable amount. The joke of our show is that. You're just used to this language now. And if it's not in that language, the audience, even subconsciously, even if they're not like, oh, I hate this scene. They're like, oh, but I'm but secretly I'm watching this like high school story. I'm not watching a true crime documentary. I'm watching a high school detective story. And once that switch changes in their mind, I think we're losing so many of the other. Like, I think the ball hairs joke doesn't become as funny. And I think it just like it ends up really cutting the legs out from what we're trying to do comedically. No, that's totally true. And who knows if it's going to work? It works for me. It makes sure. me laugh. Sure. But uh, you know, on September fifteenth, we'll find we'll out.
1: We'll find out. So, uh, were there any other rules uh, along those lines that kind of helped you stick to your guns on that stuff? All uh, right. So, you, you talked about like uh, f- treating it like a single camera, right? But mm-hmm. you shot with two cameras, right?
2: We shot with two cameras, uh, but they would they would hug right next to each other. One would shoot like kind of like left brain stuff or like hands and like shooting stuff. That's not the person talking. Another one is shooting more like coverage stuff. And then my rule to the editors was that we couldn't cut from the A cam to the B cam in real time. You would have, there has to be like a seven second delay. So it feels like we're robbing from a different point to make it. So it never feels like two cameras.
0: And what about like if they're driving or walking or how did you cover like non talking head stuff?
2: Uh, if, if, yeah, we would do uh, piv- pivot point stuff would be, we called it the, the term, uh, Bricker and I coined was, was pivot point mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, like you're on the basketball court. If you're somewhere, it can all be from where this person is standing.
0: So the two camera people are next to each other, but they can point anywhere they want.
2: Yeah. So it's
1: as though effectively uh, one cameraman has two passes at the same moment in history.
2: Well, I, I think it's, it's one cameraman is shooting for 40 minutes and mm-hmm. cuts down the scene to, to two minutes, which is normally how these things sure. are done. So in reality, we shot for five minutes and cut it down to two minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that's where that, the logic of that additional coverage comes right. in my makes mind. Sense.
0: And then, um, how, what about post? Like, uh, how did that go? Were you, did you like the first cut you saw of the first episode or was it like anything else where you like hate the first cut of stuff and then you, you're, you're trying to figure out what the show is. That's a tough, that's
2: a, I don't know if it's like this with you guys, but the best I ever feel is after the dailies. Yeah. The worst mm-hmm. I ever feel is watching the first cut. That
1: first cut you got you, you should jump off a bridge. The first, first cut, cut is, is when like, you realize it, this that this doesn't it, work. Yeah. I, I'm in you know. Yeah, yeah like I, mean,
2: that. I go from like I'm a genius to I'm an idiot. Yeah, I've wasted everyone's just, time.
1: I've let all my friends down. Yeah. Oh no.
0: Yeah, because the yeah. dailies Show is the potential of everything and then the first cut is just the most obvious way to cut anything, right?
2: But I guess I just knew that this show was going to require so much in the edit and we had we just had like really really strong editors that i mean the first cuts were bad but they were like way better than i expected them to be mm-hmm. yeah, like did you like get just documentary really editors. editors yeah one editor she did uh, like a recent michael moore documentary i think oh, she, right. i think she cut Sicko, which is like the a top voiceover documentary of all time sure, yeah. and then she cuts like Man seeking woman in broad city. Oh, cool! So it's like it, you know. Yeah, it couldn't be better. <laughs> <Can't> <laughs> so like that, that dialogue was so good, and we had this, uh, and Andy McAllister, who just like, I've never worked with an editor like him who just like just got it. Like mm. I would watch him, he. He wouldn't like play stuff and then like trial and error. And he would just like, you would see him like looking at the waveform and stuff. It was crazy, like beautiful mind type stuff. And then like, <laughs> it would take him a little bit longer before he would show me something. And then mm-hmm. when he was showing me, like, wow, that all of those shots were the perfect duration, had uh, the perfect endpoints. You're done. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. It was, <laughs> it was really something. And then, uh, uh Allie Barron was the other editor and she was fantastic too. It was, uh, we, we got pretty. We're pretty fortunate to have a good team.
0: And was it again, I'm asking selfishly, like I kind of feel like for our show, for any series I've done in the past, it's like that first episode takes us so long. And when you're really rushed on the first episode and they're like, let's edit episode two and three and four and five, like all at the same time. So
2: so for us, three editors going at once. So I'm, I'm on the pilot sessioning on the pilot while like every day I would at night see the other two cuts and like try to make a mm-hmm. laundry list long enough to keep them busy for the day. Right. And if they yeah. weren't working, okay, I guess you could start taking inventory of footage for episode five, which is the next episode you're editing mm-hmm. or something like that.
1: So right. you, you still tried to prioritize getting that first episode in a really good yeah, shape beforehand. Go. Well, cause yeah. that's
0: where you're determining like sure. where you put, if you're going to use lower thirds, right. Or if the music, if you need music or not, or, yeah,
2: it's also... You're rebuilding the, most, the format. Probably the most nervous I've ever been in my life is like... That's... if, yeah. if Because the studio, you know, they didn't love every draft of her. Sure. So if they hated the first... Luckily, they really liked the first cut. And right, right, right. Good. All of a sudden, like all of those notes that they were giving me for you know right now they get it basically yeah and now they're like no you know what cut this scene it doesn't feel like true crimey enough like that's what i've been saying the whole time and it was that was so rewarding like in post-production when the notes started to become uh, to agree with what you've been saying this whole time yeah philosophically like even if i didn't agree with all of the notes like usually philosophically they were Mm -hmm. trying to accomplish the same thing i was trying to accomplish which wasn't always the case in like the writer's room and it was cool how it sort of evolved that way. And you yeah. got to edit the pilot before anyone saw it, before Netflix saw it. Yeah. And I guess, you know, since I was creator and director, uh, normally that's two passes. Mm-hmm. So it was, right. it was a little more nerve wracking too, because, sure. you know. It, you don't have I, it a buddy happened, to be like, and it yes, happens.
1: you did it right, Tony. Yeah. 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 But well, there's a the showrunner. Right? And I also
2: had Dan Peralt too. Sure. I guess that's true. I had yeah. my co-creator. Yeah, Yeah. But it wasn't. Uh,
1: yeah, there, there's a little bit of a thing, especially when you're trying something unique of like worrying that maybe you didn't express yourself clearly and that you're getting what you wanted, but that no one else knows what's coming. Yeah. You know, like I think about, I think Tim Nakashi uh, episodes and episodes ago talked about how like sometimes he feels like he's the only one who knows what they're shooting while they're shooting it. And, there's and you feel l- like
2: you're on an island. Then. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And so I can imagine trying to do a show like this and then being the creator and director and being kind of the, were you the only person in those editing sessions or were your
2: showrunners? Yeah, producers? but that was somewhat, but more be- just allocation of resources to get stuff done while well, mm-hmm. like I can say to Dan, like, all right we need some talking heads here. And he was going through interviews and he was coming back with selects like, okay, this would be funny. Cause he's coming from like a writer perspective too. Mm-hmm, right. So I never felt truly naked. Like it was just me because Dan and I have such a, uh, sure. and both dance, but the showrunner, Dan Locana and my co-creator, Dan Peral, uh, they were both people that I did feel Like if I was going in the wrong direction, right. Uh, you can they, bounce they something would, off of them. They, they can, or, and they yeah. would come in like Tony are you sure about this? Have you thought about this? And yeah, there were times you're like, Oh yeah, of course. Right.
0: Yeah. It's awesome to have someone that like is, gets it at the same level that you do on set. Cause that's when you fall, when you don't have that, when you are on the Island is when like the AD's like, you know, do not you think you should just p- shoot coverage of this? Just like an insert shot here. And you're like, well, my whole thing is like, there's no insert shots in this. Sure. And they're like, yeah, but you may, let's just pick it up. And then they, the producer's like, yeah, let's just get that shot. And then, you know, Your show is like all insert shots,
1: right? Right? At the end of the day. Well, and it's hard because, you know, we've all done enough where it's like, we've been wrong before. You know, we've been like, fuck, why didn't I get that insurance shot? You know, like I dug in my heels because, you know, that fucking ID (laughs) shouldn't be pitching ideas right now or doesn't he know we don't have enough time or whatever. Yeah. And then there's been time the opposite of course is true as well. I find that the I had those in
2: the writer's writer's room too where I had like I'm like, you know, what? no, no, we don't, they're not going to suspect that person as a suspect. We don't need to address that. Like, I don't want to shine a light on it. The audience isn't going to care. And then you're watching the cuts like, yeah, that's every, everybody's going to think that, aren't they? So we had to do like a quick little reshoot to right. address something that one of our writers said in the room. Sure. And if I just yeah. listen to them, yeah, you know? Yeah. I find more often than
0: not, it's like my instincts, like somebody can like talk me out of them very easily. And mm-hmm. then in the edit, I'll be like, damn, I should have like I should have just agree. trusted myself. I do
2: agree yeah. with you, Oren. Like that, I've had more of those circumstances where I've, I, I'm, I want to make a crazy decision. I'm mm-hmm. like, I feel like this is going to work, and then there's too many people like, yeah, but that's not how it's done, and mm-hmm. you should do it this way, this way. And then eventually, I'm, yeah, you. I and, mean, I, I know that's not like, how it's done, and like, sure. I don't want to like look like an idiot at the end, right? Right. And, and right. then, your and like, and he's you're and like, we like, are running and behind. It would have worked. It would have yeah, worked yeah. totally.
1: Yeah. I think about that, especially when I acquiesce and it's good, but bland, you know, like, oh, this is just a regular thing that I made and we're all aiming to make something special to me. Most often when someone is questioning your judgment or pushing you away from something, it's in an effort to play it safe and like the way that they've done it before. And that makes a thing that is safe and is familiar. And that's the worst. yeah. And, and especially at a show like this, you know, like if, if it was like, ah, oh, it's a, my new take on a family sitcom, you know, it's those battles maybe aren't quite so hard, but this is something weird, you know?
2: Yeah. And if we didn't go, I mean, I think if we didn't go 100% into yeah. committing to these rules, it would have been... It just wouldn't have been worth doing. It it's, would have it's been a weird show. Like, a very let's, good episode of Parks and Rec. If you're to do Rack, it, let's go, yeah. let's go the whole way. I, it would have been a bad episode of Parks and Rec. Sure, sure. Like, yeah. It, it, it's, and to be not, fair, that's a great show. That's a know? great show. There's yeah. so many good jokes. Like, I, I yeah. read our script. and like, we've written it in this way where it, it functions and it's structured like a yeah, true yeah. crime episode. Yeah, yeah. There aren't,
1: there aren't hard there jokes. Aren't, yeah, that's true. Yeah. The
2: jokes in the office are so, so good. They're yeah. such good joke writers. We don't purposely we don't have jokes like that so we need sure we we can't try to do both we have to commit to the road we're doing we have to like try to make the audience care about ball hair discrepancies
1: dwight is making really hard funny jokes even though he's a fucking idiot uh i'm assuming jimmy tatro is not making those same jokes and is also an idiot that's right yeah yeah
0: what i was gonna say is my kind of realization i had yesterday uh was about you know I'm always struggling with figuring out like what makes a good director and like what the whole point of this whole directing thing is, and uh, and I kind of realized like this whole time I've kind of been worried about like well how do what's what's going to be an interesting shot here and an interesting shot here and an interesting performance and interesting score and interesting like trying to rack up all these details you know when we pitch on commercials a lot of times we have to tell people exactly what every shot's going to look like and what color the shirt is going to be and what how we're going to cast this thing and then i was like i think maybe directing is less about knowing all those answers and it's just like literally it's just about the approach right Mm -hmm. and it's just about like i'm going to make these rules and i'm just going to stick to these rules like this is how i'm going to work with actors and this is and of course some actors work better with improv than others but but ultimately like you look at like a Scorsese or Denis Villeneuve or whoever, Tony Ascenda. And you're like, what makes them, them? And it's not because I always frame things this way or I always like use these, this, you know, limited color palette. It's because like, this is how I approach like my Mm -hmm. storytelling. And uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of that as like a little bit of permission to be less worried about having all the answers and just be a little more comfortable with knowing how you're going to, you know, approach the questions,
1: what's important to you and what's not. Yeah. Is there any big takeaway now that you've got a season of TV under your belt? Is there anything you wish you could have told yourself, you know,
2: five months ago? I got the best advice from a showrunner while I was in the writer's room on a different show. And he's like, look, you know, you know what the show is. Now, it's not, it's a super collaborative process. There's a lot of people, a lot of really smart people, and you're not going to win every battle. This isn't, mm-hmm. you know, you're not like some tour who's going to win every battle. So, what you need to, you need to know. It's like you're bowling, you're the bumpers you just gotta, if it really violates a core principle of your show you die on the hill and -hmm. you make sure you you don't violate a core principle, but outside of that it's all flexible and you just have to to roll with the punches and make the best show you can within those parameters I thought that was like really good advice and that's kind of where I was operating but uh, it just, you know, you don't you, you can't go crazy over losing getting a note that's like maybe a lateral move or maybe something you don't quite agree with because maybe they're right but if you know what's a a real violation of the tone of your show and you just got to keep it within those boundaries
0: and so now do you think moving on it's more about creating shows
1: or more about directing oh that's great yeah what do you want to do next right because you've had a little bit of both
2: yeah, I mean, I I love the whole process. It's it's exhausting, but I'm like, when I was like at the end of post, I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna need like this really long break, and like it's still, I get like flashbacks of getting back into an editor's <laughs> sure. bay right now, uh, but I'm like jumping to get back into a writer's room because I love that, and then I know I'm gonna be ready to get back on set and that sort of cycle, and then I'll be ready to like to cut it and. uh but I gotta say there was something cool about like having an, I, having having a stupid idea sure, and just being able to see it, all of these like really talented people make it happen and bring it from beginning to end was I mean it's the coolest, yeah, it's the best. It's to the me, the incredible
0: part of your story specifically is just how fast it happened. Like a year ago, you were sitting here and there was no show. you didn't even have an yeah. idea for the show. You're yeah. a fan of True Crime
2: shows. Think like maybe a year and a half, two two years ago,
0: really? Yeah, like, like, no, our podcast hasn't been around that long. Yeah, I had
2: the idea in, I had the the idea in like mid to late February of 2016. Is that right?
0: Yeah, you're right. November of t- 2015 is when you were on the show. You wow,
2: guys, this is a Damn. you guys are prolific. This is <laughs> a serious podcast.
0: So,
1: uh, you guys got anything to endorse? Unpaid endorsements. I got one. Um, this is kind of an orange or caveat people maybe have already heard of this do you guys know um uh the art of the uh, art of the title yes the website it's so awesome fuck it is awesome so it's just a website that has the video videos of great title sequences for movies
0: with interviews of the people that created them like the game of thrones one i, I didn't until i read that website i didn't know that Every episode has a custom title sequence yeah. that shows
1: you which parts of Westeros we're going to see in that episode. But it's got, you know, classic movies, you know, um, animation, all sorts of great stuff. It's a cool, cool resource. Yeah. What's it called? Artofthetitle.com.
0: It's like if you're into d- design and mm-hmm. effects and TV, it's like the perfect marriage of all. And, and movies, it's too. Awesome. It's and, got awesome.
1: Oh yeah. I would recommend uh, the Grand Prix um title sequence is incredible it's like so awesome and i hadn't seen that movie so
0: there you go me neither well this is a really dumb one but something that i feel like has come back a lot it seems kind of retro uh and i don't know why it went away but you know those like sun visors you put in your car if you have like like to keep the sun out of your car when you park oh yeah Mm -hmm, i just got some of those did you get a club as well
2: (laughs) <laughs> you're such a nerd. no but dude
0: <laughs> i'm out on this <laughs> it's like if you have a black because i've always kind of been driving gray cars for a while now i have a black car and it gets like insanely hot uh, mm-hmm. in california and if you put those things up in your window it's like you're it's talking a about 15 like, degree you're difference. talking about the, the accordion like well so t- that's like what reflective. they used to be nowadays they come, it's more like the sunglasses ones, like, you know, yeah, the two yeah. round ones, but they're not connected. So you put like one on the left under your left mirror, one on the right. And it like, yeah, yeah. it's like, it's a significant, significant difference. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they went away, but I think they're back They're back, and they work.
2: <laughs> I think old ladies have always used yeah, them. Yeah, sure. So. Yeah. Orin, I I'm like it. The... I'm making fun of you, but I like, I walk into a meeting with pit stains and you're all. Yeah. I like the, uh, the
1: your plastic vibras. on your couch too, Orin. That's oh. really cool. Thanks.
0: Yeah. You know, it's just in case
2: we want to return it. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Tony, you got anything? Yeah. I've been just watching tons of true crime documentaries. We're trying sure. to, we're pitching our second season on Thursday. Oh, so, nice. Oh, cool. Uh, the one that, it's a series on Netflix. It's called Shadow of Truth. Um, and it's about this murder in Israel. And it's like super well-made documentary. Very, mm-hmm. very well-made. And fascinating story. Um, it's one of the best in in the genre hmm. is it in and English? it's a genre i love so no it's uh it's not in hebrew yeah cool well, i happen to be again? fluent in hebrew so is that oh, true i'm in business Ooh, yeah, lo, lo, lo. Oh, okay. man. yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: anyway well cool so uh should we find out more about you on yeah. your twitter feed yeah
1: tony how can we uh find out more about you and, and learn more about american vandal
2: t yacinda is my that's my handle for for both, although I'm, I'm the worst Twitter follow ever, so I wouldn't advise. I've <laughs> tweeted like five times. Well, what <laughs> about
0: American Vandal? It comes out September fifteenth on Netflix. Yeah, all eight episodes at once on
2: on Netflix. You got Netflix. Do you right? recommend? Put it on your watch list. How many yeah, do you yeah,
0: recommend man. people watch at a time?
2: Uh, eight. I think you could do. I think you could do four and four. Yeah. Like two weeknights? two to a, a weekend. Okay, weekend. A two two hour... Two,
0: yeah, that's not too bad. Oh, but two, yeah, they're two hours. hours. Fuck, man. I saw Making yeah. a Murder in one weekend. Can I tell you the jinx, though, when you were watching that live? Like, I, I don't know if you guys watch it live, I but didn't I did. Oh, I, I haven't seen it yet, actually. I benched it. Nice. Yeah, oh. I came late. I was late to the party. There's that extra element, I mean, that we pretty much only have with Game of Thrones now, and some people have with The Bachelor, I guess, where it's like like the next day everyone's like holy shit. it's the super fun appointment yeah i, love I don't it. think our
2: show would be yeah appointment i don't think people would be gathering around to watch the next episode of american vandal but i do think people would be like i watched that in one day yeah well what's awesome about
0: like making a murder is that you don't know the answer at the end of the show same right. with serial so you can talk to people about it about before it. they've yeah. seen it right yeah
1: yeah, well, and, and Cereal did have that weekly sort of water cooler aspect to
0: it. That mm-hmm. was so great. but So good. Remember Funny Your Die made that video about like the final episode of Cereal and how stressful it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yeah. everyone's going to listen to it, and they better have an answer.
1: And they didn't. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was great. Uh, cool. Well, you can find out more about the show and the stuff that we talked about on our website eventually. Uh, And you can follow us at Just Shoot It Pod on Twitter And follow me at Mr. Matt Unlow
0: And me at Smitey Pileg This episode was edited By Jay McAuliffe And the music was provided by The Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar And uh, if you can leave us a rating on
1: iTunes uh, That would be awesome Thanks guys, bye! Bye!